0: Welcome to SoFlow by Lucas Millard. Lucas's latest collection of thirteen short stories, ranging from the gross and silly to heart-wrenching thrillers of cosmic proportions. Join Lucas as he takes you beyond the beaches and shows you the dark side of the Sunshine State. Welcome to SoFlow, a collection of weird Florida horror by Lucas Millard. Available January 14th, 2024. Brought to you by the Evil Cookie Publishing.
1: What's up, Jordan?
0: How's it going,
2: man? Good to see you. You too, man. Hey, Candice. How you doing?
1: I'm good, and you? I'm good. Good. Hey, guys. Hello.
3: meet you.
0: Do you guys prefer keeping this to an hour or uh, any time
2: frame? Yeah, I I think that's probably right. I think, um, I mean... Honestly, Ed and I were on three different Zooms today for work. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> I got you.
3: We think we need to do one after this, but <laughs> do we? I'm just kidding.
2: Uh, okay. I, no,
3: we <laughs> should we should get right. that list back to them tomorrow, though. Tomorrow, though.
2: Tomorrow. <laughs> we'll get into that. I, <laughs> I I was really worried we are going to have to have another Zoom day. We do a lot of Zooms, me and Ed.
0: Yeah. I I, yeah. I bet I bet it makes sense. You guys yeah. want to just jump into it? Yeah, however yeah, you want know. to do it. And uh, real quick, Ed, uh, Jordan's he- heard the spiel, but uh, it's not live. If there's anything that after we record and you're like, shit, I wish that wasn't in it, you can email me or, or talk through Gretchen however you want. And uh, no questions asked. We'll cut it. Oh, OK.
3: Uh, well, the- I make a rule to always try to say at least one thing I regret in every interview.
0: Um,
3: <laughs> they just make for more inter- interesting interviews, you know?
2: <laughs> the love of the game.
3: Yeah, come on. You always wanted to find out what I really thought about George Pelicanos.
0: Nailed it. I, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> They're all dead. Hello, I am Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my friend Candace Nolla. Say hi, Candace. Hello. If you're new here, well, welcome hit that subscribe button. If you are joining, returning in any fashion, audio, or video version, welcome back. And uh, today we are talking to uh, a familiar face, Jordan Harper. Say hello, Jordan. Hey, everybody. And we are also talking to Ed Brubaker. Say hello, Ed. Hey, everybody. So I've had this question. A uh, listener had this question. I'm pretty sure Brennan sent us in some questions. Oh, yeah, I should say Brennan's not here today because he is He's pretty sick, um, but he'll be back next week. So uh, hopefully he'll he'll be better sooner than that. But the question is, we're just going to jump into criminal real quick. That's going to be the biggest chunk of this show, unless you guys steer us in another direction. But uh, going back before you guys teamed up for criminal, how did you guys meet, and uh, what led to a partnership?
2: You're like Ed, this is a better story coming from you because it, it starts earlier coming from you. How do you want to, yeah.
3: yeah? Um, well, I don't know how Jordan discovered Criminal. I discovered uh Jordan's book when it got nominated for the Edgar Award. She writes Shotgun, and I was like, and I read the description, I was like, oh, that sounds like something I would like. And then I was reading it, and I was like, oh god, this not only sounds like something I would write, but but it, it felt like reading something from like, you know, like a long lost twin or something. And um, and then I was starting to develop Criminal about four or five years ago at Legendary, and we were looking at people to bring on. And after we'd already chosen somebody, the our executive, Matt King, showed me uh, two specs of Jordan's, two spec pilots he'd written. And I was like, well, why didn't you like show me these like three weeks ago (laughs) so so when um when the show got picked up at amazon and they started talking about forming a writer's room the first thing out of my mouth was well can you get me jordan harper and then you know and he was doing another show for them which they like uh, i think he was about to do and uh they basically gave him to me so that was (laughs) and then we met
2: (laughs) Uh, yeah, and I—I I mean, I don't know exactly when I first read Criminal. Um, it was a while ago. I know by the time I got to Gotham, I knew who Ed was because we had um, uh, copies of Gotham Central lying around, um, mm. and uh, and I already knew who Ed was by then. So you know, I've been you know reading his comics for a long time, and then I had you know like, we—I was on a different show at Legendary when this was uh, first when Ed first started working on Criminal. Uh, I was in the first iteration of a tv show based on the movie dune um that is now coming out based on an entirely different writer's room it has nothing to do with me um and i had i had left uh, when that fell apart i I left and uh matt king who who we really do owe uh, a lot for for putting us together uh this executive at legendary who's who's now at amazon um kind of kept telling my people man i've got a project i'm gonna get jordan Gonna get Jordan because I think Ed had already said the why didn't we get Jordan? But it was too yeah. late at that period. Uh, and then uh you know, stuff got shuffled around and it made sense all of a sudden for us to meet. And uh it's just very, very easy after that because Ed and I have a lot of the same touch points, a lot of the same references, and uh, you know, we're 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 trying to make the same show. So yeah um, on an airplane you
3: know, on the flight home from Chicago recently, we discovered we had like the same favorite band, even just
2: yeah, just, yeah.
0: Total Name that bizarre. band. I'm I'm not familiar with uh, Jordan's favorite band.
3: Uh, I mean, well, a, one
2: of our favorite bands yeah. um, is a a band called uh, Low. That if you've never heard Low, um, I don't know which one you would say. I would say Things We Lost in the Fire would be the yeah, album to that check out. Yeah, Things We um,
3: Lost in the Fire, Destroyer. <laughs> I don't know. I, everything that they did, pretty much for the first like fifteen albums.
2: <laughs> yeah, they were the they were like one of the originators of a thing that was very big at the. Like the early 2000s, called Slowcore, which was like sort of a reaction to all the noisy grunge music, was bands that wanted to kind of exist in that alternative space but play very slowly and very quietly. And they were the best yeah. of those bands. So, did
0: yeah. they do a song called Roar?
2: Maybe. I mean, they have a lot of albums, too. Yeah, uh, they unfortunately,
3: they did a great album with the Dirty Three where they covered like Neil Young songs and and uh, did some original. Oh, I love that. Uh, the Down by the River cover is really, yeah, really the good. best version. It's like a 25 minute long cover of Down by the River.
0: Holy shit. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, uh, it's going to blur it out. It's oh, okay. Low Roar is the band's name. I thought it was. No, it's just Low. Yeah. I'd be looking at it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never <laughs> a, mind. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Um, but yeah, it, that's just like Jordan and I seem to generally, I don't think there's any, anything we've had a major disagreement on.
2: I, no, no, I don't think yeah. so. And I mean, artistically, you can see yeah. the Venn diagrams are very, very close. And, and, you know, we, especially when it comes to like 70s noir, I think through 90s noir, um, both in print and in, uh, in movies. I think we, you know, we, we put together a list when we put together the writer's room. Uh, for Criminal, we put together a movie list, and basically, Ed wrote down a bunch of movies, which 90% were movies I would have written down, and then I think I added another 10 at yeah. the end, which were all movies, you know. Um, so, so, we really do, like, yeah, we come from different mediums in a lot of ways, but, like, um, you know, we just... So, it was just very, like, you, you know, I don't think you're going to find... Well, obviously, Ed is the most qualified person to do Criminal, but you're not going to find <laughs> two people who are more qualified to be doing this who who work in Hollywood right now, so... Yeah. Um, it's, it's it's a it's a good
0: match that's excellent especially you know after that shitty strike man uh it's really excellent that you guys can kind of you and a bunch of other people that i love for filmmakers and screenwriters and whatnot and directors can pick up after that that was a, that was as someone that's not that's a spectator uh but a writer and someone that has nothing but admiration for for what y'all do uh I was a little worried because uh, <laughs> Hollywood tends to fuck over everyone. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, before we talk more about unless Candace, you want to jump to something else? I started talking to a few writers of crime, like um, uh, Dennis Lehane and, and Don Winslow. I started to talk to them about George V. Higgins, and you know what? I think that's going to be a question I ask people that write crime because. He's someone that I don't hear about a lot from people in my circles of writers. So I would like to know if either one of you are a fan of of his work. If I'm putting you on the spot, let me know, and I'll cut this part out. No, we are both <laughs> absolutely fans of, of Higgins. I, can, I didn't I can know if that was giving for me a look like, what the fuck is this kid on? No, 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 <laughs> no I can oh, answer that for Oh,
2: him. yeah,
3: I'm like, wait, oh, Friends of Eddie Coyle, yeah. Friends of Eddie Coyle, yeah. Yeah, we talk about that movie all the time.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is, that's a big touch point for us. I, I love Higgins. I don't write anything. Yeah. Anything like how Higgins writes, but like, um, you know, uh, that Coogan's trade. I mean, those are, I, yeah. uh, those yeah, yeah. are the two really, really big ones for me. Yeah.
3: Um,
0: Peter Boyle in, in, so, in Friends of Eddie Coyle too. I just, uh, he, he doesn't, he doesn't age, but he hit a point where he looks super old and just doesn't age. Like, look at young Frankenstein, Friends of Eddie Coyle, everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. He always looks sad. old. <laughs> yeah.
3: He's like, uh, um that British actor Toby Jones who played Truman Capote. Yeah. Toby Jones has looked the same since he was like 25. He's looked like, you know, like a guy in his middle age kind of, I think.
2: I mean, some I people some people are born to die and some people are born to just look old, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> So as far as I'm going to jump back, I know I'm all over the place right now, but with uh Criminal, you guys are both show running it. What is What does that involve? Because as far as you both doing a project that you're passionate about, I mean, Ed, you're the creator of this. So like what what is what is that like compared to like taking on someone else's project and making it your own? Um, Jordan, I'm kind of asking that in a weird way because you're taking on someone else's project. So let's pretend I ask that second part. How's it like working together on this project that you both are very passionate about?
2: I mean, it's. I mean, unless Ed's holding a, a secret back, you know. Um, no, it's it's, it's 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 pretty smooth, you know. I think in general, like obviously, like you know, and I are co showrunners. We have a terrific executive producer who works with us, Sarah Carbiner, who is is not I don't know, not quite a showrunner, but uh, a more than a, a number two, which we've agreed. That's the standard industry term for the person below the showrunner is number two, and we got to at least at the very least, we got to come up with a better title. Yeah. Um, cause that just sounds, doesn't sound awesome.
3: I'm calling someone <laughs> your number two. It's like fine on Star Trek in 1968, you know, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah.
2: Um, but you know, I mean, we I think there are, there's division of labor and whatnot, but like, we're just kind of in this together and, and we, you know, we are, we tend to just make decisions by, uh, what's the, what's the anarchist word I'm looking for here? Consensus where, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um like you know we i like i believe like a veto costs it, it weighs more than like a an assent and so if like somebody really feels strongly against doing something it's like don't do that but like we're we're i mean trying to we have so much going on that's why my yeah, brain
3: is sure scrambling is. <laughs> um yeah we're in the thick of it right now <laughs> yeah we're
2: we're writing scripts we're taking meetings about casting we're by the way i just got to throw this out there's a limited amount that we can say out loud right now oh yeah, yeah of course you, you, yeah. you understand so that? so how's it end yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things that isn't that much of a spoiler you know um compared to like <laughs> you know some of the details
0: um well look, game of thrones fucked it up they had the perfect show so you guys you can just (laughs) like whoever the fuck you want you're gonna be better Uh, for sure for sure
2: um but yeah i mean i'd like we're we just got offices you know
3: we just got offices we have offices on the warner brothers lot now which is really fun to show up at work you know and Walk around and wonder why they're not filming anything in l a except for Abbott Elementary and little and young Sheldon. I wanted to call it Little Sheldon, which would have been a better name um, it would have been a better name <laughs> <laughs> Little Sheldon that's the, that's the next trilogy is him as like a toddler
2: that sounds like you're making a this show about Sheldon Sheldon's trilogy. penis, though like.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: which by the way, they're gonna run out of stuff to do. They're gonna.
3: Yeah, they're going to have to do a Sheldon.
2: Hey, Jordan,
0: that, that's just nuts, man. This is a serious show. Come on. <laughs> an animated show
3: about Sheldon as a sperm inside, the, mm-hmm. inside you know, being like the, the most different sperm. Um, anyway, so, yeah, we got offices. It's, it's really fun, actually. It's like I didn't want to do it myself, for one thing, because it's an impossible job. Um,
0: Be a showrunner?
3: Jordan, yeah. But Jordan is like literally like – we share a brain in some ways about crime writing, and mm. he has much more, like, production experience than me and and likes a lot of the things about the job, or at least tolerates a lot of the things about the job that I hate. Mm. The, second um, yeah, <laughs> the second one. Yeah, the second one. and. And, you know, we form like a really good team in that way. And one of the things that sucks about adapting yourself is that you kind of have written the story the way you wanted to do it, or at least a way that you wanted to do it. And so it's hard to like divorce yourself from how you did it before or Mm. get too attached to a thing. So it's like, you have to learn to somewhat let go of your ownership of it. So like, like if I weren't involved at all, I'd be totally fine with Jordan just doing it because I'm like, oh, this guy, you know, is the, you know, probably in the top five crime writers like working right now ever, you know. So it's
0: we're like, one of like, the best fucking books ever too. But, she um, wrote um, yeah, exactly. Oh, so thanks, it's yeah. like seriously,
3: but you know, so I'm able to, you know, just basically be like the guy who created the books, and now we're like, I'm I'm pretty free about like us changing stuff from the books, and you know, like. Like, one of the main things we've changed is, like, there's a character who was dead in the series who, you know, from the beginning, and we have them in the story, you know, stuff like that. I'm not going to tell you who.
0: No, no, no. So it's like it's God. God. <laughs>
3: it was God. God <laughs> like was dead like... and criminal and the, no, no, no. the yeah books, it's, it's such... but... Yeah. Jordan. Well, is- we had
2: to find a way to get like CGI in there, you know? So yeah. like, you know, we need the 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 angels and the devils and whatnot. You know, I know I think Ed does a good job of, of letting go because I, I and mean, we Ed and I have talked about this. Like I've done it. I did a, a draft of the She Ride Shotgun movie. Uh and I've myself, I, I don't know if I'll ever adapt myself again uh because of exactly what he's talking about. You're so close to it. There's there's pain involved in changing. And it, and, it, and especially like Ed comes from comics, I come from novels where you have it's your story. It's just your story. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, it's tough, but you know, he, uh, he does a good job of, of letting go in a way that like, I admire because like I said, like with, with my latest novel, everybody knows, I just let, um, i let somebody else do it. So I didn't have to feel the pain, you know, but like, um, I know we'll see what it's like. I might regret it all when I see it on the screen and I go, ah, why'd I let (laughs) him do that? But I'm trying to that's be mature. The, that's
3: it. the only reason that I keep not letting go of it is because the times when I, early in my career, I used to just be like, I, either I would ask if I could adapt it and they'd say no, because, you know, who the fuck was I, or, um, just the guy who wrote it, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but, um or i would be like oh i don't have time you know cuz i was buried in like marvel deadlines and stuff but all the times when i wasn't involved or at least got to consult on the on the script like everything would turn into like a superhero story or some like they would just completely lose the thread like they can't do a story about a criminal like they have to turn it into like he but halfway through he becomes a good guy and it's like well but no <laughs> so so um you know like that happened a lot i had a, a a project called incognito that a bunch of different people adapted and every single time they turned it into a superhero origin story it's about a super villain living in witness protection like that's fine i'm just Nobody's biting my tongue man <laughs> i'm playing my tongue
0: as a fellow writer that is saying what the fuck <laughs> why are you why are you just marring the shit out of his baby candace jump in i've been talking too much
1: it's fine um I was actually going to ask about some of the uh, obstacles with a project like this. It seems like the two of you immediately clicked, which is great. So what are some of the issues, obstacles with something this huge?
0: It's Just a few of them, if any. I mean, can no, but you know, you know. know. I, I, what is
3: what is your Jordan has the great phrase about? uh Well, he has so many great phrases. We have a book of Jordanisms that we're starting, but um, <laughs> but he he has several phrases that account for Hollywood. One of one of my favorites is that nobody likes the soup until they've pissed in it. Yeah. Which, when you really think about that, is horrifying.
2: It is horrifying. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a it's a phrase I learned when yeah. I, I briefly after college worked as an advertising person, and uh, <laughs> it was an explanation of why the clients always ask for changes. And um, and yes, it, it applies to Hollywood often as well. Everybody everybody needs to just take a piss in the soup, you know. And uh, or like
3: the, the if they like a project too much, that can be. You know, what is the... the-
2: oh, well, that's where I th- you can squeeze a bunny to death, like in uh Of Mice and Men, you know? You can love something <laughs> until you kill it. Um, <laughs> you see that in Hollywood, too. I just, look, like, yeah. I mean, we're at a place now because we've been greenlit to series. Um, We are making this show. We have been, we've selected our location, which, again, I don't think we can say out loud. Yeah. We are interviewing directors that we can't name, but, like... Yeah. <laughs> what do they rhyme with the name?
3: <laughs> we're talking. We're talking to actors. We can't say. You know, we're yeah. talking about actors who we can't say.
2: Yeah, um. but like, oh, all I was just say is like the the thing that is crazy about when you're a writer is it's so easy to type. You know, the car rolls off the cliff. But we're getting to the part where people are going to start figuring out how to make the car roll off the cliff, um and that is it's so daunting from our perspective because we don't know how to do any of it. You know, we know how to write stuff, and now we're being asked these questions and. You're interviewing people who are like editors. I mean, maybe you feel different about this, Ed, but like we're gonna be interviewing editors soon, and I don't know what to yeah. ask. What do you ask an editor? I don't know. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean that. I
3: don't know. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: <laughs> I got. I got to figure it out.
3: Like. <laughs> I hope no one at Amazon's watching this um, <laughs> Start totally up, I ask interview <laughs> editors. <laughs> I do know what I,
2: <laughs> um, I think you would actually know more about editing than I, I would, but like,
3: um, well, we've both done a lot of TV. Like I did a whole series with Nicholas Reffin for Amazon that, uh, that is now on the, if you look in Amazon originals, you can find called Too Old to die young. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a daunting task to like bring it all to the screen and like inside my biggest thing is always like every decision becomes more and more important because just a single wrong decision can destroy a show. Like mm-hmm. I had a show or I had a friend who had a pilot set up at at F, at uh, Fox and he showed me the pilot and I read it and I was like, "Oh my god, this is an amazing dark crime thriller." And then the network cast a completely wrong actor and gave it to a completely wrong director and suddenly became like a really bright daytime thing with lots of sweeping camera and like kind of music. And it went from being like what would have been like a really cool character driven noir to like basically like we wish this was house and i like house but that wasn't what my friend was trying to do you know so it's like so i our our worries is just sort of how do we get this to how do we get what we've written to the screen in a way that's like exciting and you know and that accomplishes the things that amazon needs it to accomplish too so which is you know uh you know that that can be changeable at times, yeah. and and you know also everything takes fucking forever now. Yeah. Like Jordan came from TV when they would be writing it while they were filming it, basically, and doing like twenty five a year. Now it's almost impossible to get them to agree to do eighty year. Yeah, you know, it you know, it's, eight, it's just, you know
2: it's just a totally different world, and I guess I still yeah because I came up on the Mentalist where like we you know. <laughs> We were on a, a, a train and the train was rolling, you know, and, and mm. it's exactly that. We would get like, I think, um like an eight week head start and we would start writing episodes and, and then we would publish one. And then they'd start working to shoot that episode as we were writing episode four or five. Yeah. You know, you're and, and you're got to keep that going for 24 episodes yeah. a year while going to world,
3: set. When I was. I was filming episode four of Westworld. We were writing episode six and rewriting episode five. Like we were, you know, and they, of course, had a production break because they ran into a wall. But, um, you know, like that was typical even nine years ago in television Mm -hmm. to be filming while the writing room was still going. And now everything, you completely finish writing the show basically before you start filming it.
0: You guys okay. were talking. I just I just want to touch on one point before we go too much further. You guys were talking about editors, and um, it just made me think. Like, like I I'm not pitching myself real quick, but as a, like I edit the show, and I used to edit a bunch of other stuff, but I'm thinking like that can that can also uh, change. It, it's literally a rewrite of your show that could completely yeah. fuck up the cadence of of you know how things go, or it could be smooth to your writing or you get it, you get the wrong DP. Oh yeah. And they're going to make it look like shit or really good.
3: Yeah. I mean, those are all the concerns is like, what are, what are you actually making? Like, how's it visually going to look? I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I grew up like, you know, doing writing and drawing my own comics and making movies with my friends. And like, I actually moved out to Hollywood like 15 years ago, wanting Mm -hmm. to become a director and then just got kind of, stuck doing TV for a long time and then and then got to the point where I was like I don't think I have the energy to be a director even if I, even if I wanted to it seems like the most how do you how would you possibly do anything else on the side like with with TV writing I can still get up and write comics on the weekends and stuff but I think if you're a director that's just your life um but yeah I I think visually a lot so like this this part of it to me is like You know, like I worked on the show with Refn, but that was always going to be his vision. Like we were writing it together, you know, and I was doing most of the scripts. But, you know, like I didn't feel the same kind of emotional attachment for that that I have for Criminal. So, you know, for me, it's trying to get to something being on the screen and still feel like an emotional connection to it, which has never happened for any of the stuff I've had produced so far. I did see some episodes of this Batman cartoon that I was the head writer for that I feel pretty proud of.
0: Hmm. <laughs> does that happen with you jordan uh feeling a strong connection to anything that you've worked on before
2: i mean you know like for tv i i've always you know been more or less a, a hired gun and even if i really like you know uh, the mentalist has some stuff that i really like about it but hey it's the mentalist it's not what i came to hollywood to do which is i that sounds snotty but it's just a fact of like i'm not a cozy writer i, I write hard-boiled um you know, there are some episodes, there's some stuff I wrote for Hightown that I really like. And then I am I'm really proud of the LA confidential pilot I did. Uh yeah, even though it's it, amazing. It, thank you. Uh even if I, you know, it didn't make it to the air. Um I I firmly believe that it made it it didn't make it to the air because it was too good for CBS uh in the form that we made it. And uh I'm just gonna, you know, I'll rephrase that out of respect to the uh Columbia broadcast system. Um is that what I said <laughs> for? I think um, it is. It was too good for... I'll say it in a way that I can live with and not offend anybody who I've worked with in the past. Uh, now that you have to edit it, I'm just saying this is the right way to say it. It was too good for Les Moonves, um, who is the person who passed on it at the end. And Les Moonves, of course, famously, um, asshole and sex pest. So... Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't mind saying that also has bad taste in which pilots to make. Um...
3: But this is the first thing you've done that feels like you're writing like your your scripts for criminal so far have actually felt like the kind of thing you write, you know? Oh, absolutely.
2: There, I, there are like there are things in Hightown that feel that way to me. Um, yeah. You know, but again, yeah. like and I love Rebecca Cutter, the showrunner of Hightown, but that was her show. And she she you know, I was not I was a consulting producer on that. So there was always even when I was I was doing stuff I really liked. I always felt like I was doing it for her, and I was doing her stuff, and that's totally fine. But with this, it's even though we're adapting Ed's, and it's Ed's story. Yeah, I, I really feel like I'm getting my my stamp on it, and that we're working together well. And so, um, other than LA Confidential, which never got to the air, this is the first thing in, uh, in Hollywood that I'm really, yeah, really feel that way about.
0: Very cool. Um, I definitely don't want to pass up any time on where the body was. So. Uh, and that's a uh, it's your graphic novel. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Ed,
2: I got it. I got it. I, got it. I brought one. Oh, hi. No. blurred, yeah. it's
3: blurred. Yours, is yours blurred. blurred. Mine doesn't blur. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, you don't have blurred
0: background on. <laughs> Brennan finished it before I did and said this is definitely my wheelhouse, and he was not fucking wrong, man. That was a it's a, it's a good story. It has I it, it just. You know, I, I'm not a huge, not for not liking it, but I read more novels and anything. Uh, I am just, I was lost in it. It felt like a movie. And I don't know if that's a common thing with most graphic novels. And uh, I just felt like the cuts were made like a movie in the sense where you're like, you can piece a, you can piece everything in between what you show together. And I just how all the characters went together really well. Uh, how it stayed in one central location. Um, I I just thought it was excellent. Yeah. Show
3: the map, Jordan, if you don't.
2: Oh, I, well, research. this is the one, this is my new copy of it. So I got to unwrap it real quick.
3: Oh, mm-hmm. shit. It's
2: okay. You know, I read it because I had blurbs on the cover. Um, this is the map.
3: Yeah. And, that's well, the, the end papers of the book is the, is the map, which is like a, a sort of a tribute to the old Dell map back covers. Um, but yeah, that was like the idea all started from just wanting to do uh, a big sprawling sort of, I don't know, somehow both small and huge at the same time, like crime story that, that really was about just sort of love more than, more than anything, love and crime and, and how, and life and the passage of time kind of. And it just seemed to me that if you did it all in one location, it would be, uh, I guess clever <laughs> you know, is the word I'm thinking of. Um, but just kind of, it would make it a way to sort of make it feel like a microcosm of, of, you know, different aspects of the world. It was kind of inspired by, um, uh, oh, I'm going to draw a blank on his name. Um, uh, shit. What's his name? The guy who wrote election Tom Oh Yeah. No, Tom Parada. Yeah, I was. I had just read the new Tom Parada book, mm-hmm. and it and and it made me think about like old movies from the '90s and and these ideas of, you know, these different uh, characters' stories taking place at the same time as each other and kind of overlapping, like the shortcuts, the movie based on the Raymond Carver stories, and I just and I realized like I'd always wanted to do a thing like that and. And I just, in a burst of inspiration, just filled up, like, a whole notebook over a weekend with, like, all the different characters. And I'd had all these characters uh, in my head from parts of different stories that I never got to or, like, ideas. Like, there's a, there's a, a storyline in there about a psychiatrist who maybe is trying to get one of his patients to murder his wife. And that's, like, based on a real thing that happened. Uh, my stepfather's, lo- like, uh, uh, partner at his at his um psychiatry practice, uh tried to like brainwash one of his patients into murdering his wife. Damn. Um so it was like Jesus just little Christ. bits and pieces <laughs> of <story>. Yeah. <laughs> little bits and pieces of stories I'd been sitting on for a while and I and I finally figured out a way to sort of put them all into one book that that made sense kind of. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to do just to to follow every character's strand and You know, one of the things that's really unique about comics um, compared to novels or film is, you know, like time can pass between each frame, really. Like there's that section of the book where you hear the woman sort of talking and each panel, she gets older all the way until the end of her life as she's just telling you this story. And those are like, I really wanted to try and do something that really used all the language of comics that's why it it's sort of it almost has a feel of like a true crime podcast and at different times where the characters yeah. stop and start talking to you and it yeah. like they're being interviewed by somebody and you know like like it was really just us kind of experimenting around and and you know me forcing sean to design every house in a neighborhood which he was <laughs> sean phillips the the artist who i've been working with for over 20 years we we've been you know in in comics uh we're pretty much like the um the most well known team who like work in crime comics at all, I think. We're we have put out two books a year for about 15 years now. So we have a lot of books, which uh you can see in the back of that one.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> I, I love how you were able to add uh I'll just say a realistic superhero in it and oh. go <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think
3: based on me as a little kid,
0: (laughs) this is kind of a funny way to put it. But as writers, you know that this is nothing but love, and I'm not a psycho for this. But Palmer's probably my favorite character in there. That guy is a Looney Tune. Oh yeah, yeah. He's just I think he's my favorite because he's just so fucking wild, and I don't understand how people could be like him.
3: (laughs) Well, look at his look at his name written down and jam it all together.
0: Palmer Sneed.
3: Yeah. Move the ass over to, to, to his first name. His name is Palmer's Need. <laughs> okay. All right. I see you. Yeah.
0: Clever bastard.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, a, a, he's a fucked up character. Uh, yeah, I totally wish that I had his superpower.
0: <laughs> the world will Just be quite shutting interesting.
3: Shutting down that. shit. Yeah. Jesus. I'd be the best sheriff.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, to jump back a, a second, I think uh, when I first read it, I texted Ed when I got to that page with the uh, with the woman where the the time passes between each panel. I think that's my favorite page in the comic book, because I just it is exactly what Ed said. It's it's something you can only do in comics. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you film that, it wouldn't work. Uh, I don't know how you would put it in prose. I mean, you could do something sort of like it, but not not in that simple way that 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 comics allow you to do that. And I just, I thought that was I just, it's, it's so great to see that as somebody who doesn't write comics to see that language come out, that it is unique to the form. Uh, so that was my favorite thing. And the, I, I love the book and I, you know, I told that when, when I read it, but um, but I think that was my favorite thing.
0: Hmm. Um. Yes, definitely a good one. Uh, Brennan has a question about Sean Phillips. So I want to cover that for sure. He says, what is it about working with Sean Phillips that continually draws him back?
3: Um, well partly uh it started out we just really got along. We we mainly have a I've I've been in the same place as Sean probably like six or eight times in the world, like in our life in our lives together as partners. Uh he lives in England with his family and we just email back and forth and I just send him the scripts and he just starts drawing them and then he sends me the pages as he's drawing them, and it's just this completely cyclical relationship he he always needs more pages like he's always like you know just really steady uh with keeping the pace like a lot of artists you have to really like keep on them to to you know and comics is a really hard job so mm. like early on with Sean I realized like oh my God this guy's like the most consistent artist that I've ever worked with and the way he draws characters, you can really, for a guy who, like, he draws, you know, somewhere in between, like, uh, like, alternative comics and photorealistic, but he draws characters that you can really empathize with them. Like, he gets the facial expressions right, and he gets their posture right and stuff, and that means so much because a lot of you'll look at a lot of comics and there's a lot of good art, but you still don't identify with the characters or care about them, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's the most important part of, of being a comic artist is like, you have to be able to draw everything, which is fucking impossible. You have to be a great storyteller, which is, you know, an art just in its own. There are guys who only just do storytelling and then some other people do the finished art and stuff. Um, but you also, you know, you have to pretty much be able to do, get up and do it every day and not get burned out. And Sean and I have been working together for 20 years now, and he just keeps trying harder and just getting better. And, um, and it makes me try harder to come up with things that'll be more, you know, impossible for him to draw. Like we did a book last year called Night Fever that he drew. He'd always wanted to draw the size that people drew comic art in the 40s and 50s, which is mm twice as big as published. Um, like you can't fit the page on a scanner. You have to scan it in two pieces now because they don't make scanners that big anymore. But he just wanted to do <laughs> that. So we wrote a book. I wrote a book just like a weird European uh crime noir thing for him to draw called Night Fever. And he just spent, you know, six months drawing that book. And, you know, and it's the most beautiful art he's ever done because he was doing it like just enormous pages filled with detail, but he's always wanting to push himself and, you know, and it it makes me push myself, um, you know, to to try different things and to
1: take more risks. That's awesome. Uh, Candice. With regards to where the body was, I can't talk sometimes. So, you know, you have to forgive me. But what were some of the limitations of having that all in one small town? In the opposite end of that, what were some of the most, comp- most compelling aspects of having it that way?
3: Um well, I don't think there were any real limitations to it because I, a couple times I let the characters go off to other places as long as they sort of, and the chapter had some point where they were on the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But for me, part of the fun of it was like looking at the map as I was writing the story and thinking about where all the different characters were at different times of the day and, yeah. and like... Um, figuring out ways to have the which way to have the chapters overlap because I had everybody's storylines written down completely as their own thing in my notebook. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to figure out how to interweave the the moments of the different characters so that they would feel right. Like I thought the the dead body would show up in the first third of the book, but it's actually almost at the end. <laughs> considering it's in the title. But I also mm-hmm. didn't have a title for the book for a long time, and then I was looking at the map one day. And I saw on the map, it says where the body was. And I was like, oh, why didn't I just call it that? <laughs> That's a great name.
1: <laughs> nice. Um, Patrick, do you have another one about I actually- this or can I switch to something else?
0: Uh, go switch to something else. Uh, um, I'll save Brennan's thing to the end.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, So I have one that's kind of like an individual one, but then also one that I want you to answer as a team for the current project you're working on, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So can each of you speak about one or two of your most memorable experiences in your careers up until now? And then also if you have one as of yet on the project you're working on now, something that stands out. Uh, You know, just about my career, I think, you
2: know, um, I don't know if I'll ever, I I just think a lot about meeting James Elroy. I, you know, I I adapted LA confidential and uh, I got invited by some of the retired detectives who'd been um, technical advisors on the show uh, they, they told Elroy about me and, and he wanted to meet me. And so I went to the Egyptian theater in, in Hollywood where he was introducing the movie LA Confidential and I was taken into the Red Room. Red Room, Green Room. Red Room would be, I was going into Twin yeah. Peaks. but like, <laughs> um, You don't want to go there, man. I don't want to go there, not with Elroy. Especially, um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and you know, I just—he was just surrounded by retired LAPD, not all retired, but a, a lot of older LAPD detectives. All of them dressed like characters out of LA Confidential, and then Elroy was at the center of them, and he just, you know, barked questions at me, and but was really kind, and and I just, you know, I'm sure Ed has 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 stories like this as well, but they're just sometimes doing what we do, where you just. You, you kind of zoom out of your body all the way up and you go, how the hell did I get here? Like, how the hell did I get here sitting across from James Elroy at this giant old movie theater in Los Angeles from the Ozarks, you know? And then, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, we've had so much fun in the writer's room for Criminal, but that's 90% of what we've done for Criminal right now has been on Zoom in a writer's room. And and yeah. like, that's just fun. That's just like, that's the fun of this job is to be in a room with like six or eight other really creative people and just talking and laughing and trying to figure out the best way to to do this armed car robbery. It's different than, you know, like he said he writes not to answer for you, Ed, but like he writes scripts and then sends them to Sean. I just write books and like yeah. send it to my editor when it's basically done. Um and so the collaboration part of TV, I, I don't have, like, a specific story from Criminal because we're really just about to get into the part where stories happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's my answer. But, Ed, I don't know what you would say.
3: Yeah, call us next week and we'll tell you about how difficult <laughs> Meryl Streep is to work with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I wish. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Um Career-wise, I think my most sort of fun career thing uh, just for, like, Hollywood stuff was when I first moved here and I thought I was going to be, like, a big deal in Hollywood. Like, every person who moves to Hollywood thinks for a brief moment, I actually got nominated and was told ahead of time that I was going to win the Scream Award uh, for best comic book writer. And so it was like a month after I moved here, I had to like go out and buy a, buy like a tux and go to some big thing. And it was like the green room, it was the final time they did the Scream Awards. And the green room for that was the most celebrity filled place that I've ever seen. It was like the entire cast of Game of Thrones like multiple doctor who's Harold and Kumar like George (laughs) Lucas was sitting on a couch by himself and no one was talking to him. Like, and we were, my wife and I were there and I was just like, Oh my God, I feel like a complete alien in this room. And then I saw Colin Farrell just standing at the bar by himself. And I went over. I love that guy. I was just such an In Bruges fan that I literally we just walked over and he had that look on his face like, oh, no, some strangers are approaching. And I said, hey, man, I just I don't want to take up a lot of your time. I just want to say I'm a huge fan of In Bruges and everything changed. He completely became like not afraid. He he talked to us for like 10 minutes and. I was like, it was right before he went and made uh, Seven Psychopaths with Martin McDonough, too, and mm-hmm. we were talking about that. And I'd read the script for it. it. Was just like I got to have like a total like me and Colin Farrell geeking out about Martin McDonough together for like five or ten minutes, and then and then the reason that I, my relationship with Colin Farrell went no further than that is Pee Wee Herman came over and grabbed him and walked off, and I was like, <laughs> okay, this is the weirdest night of my life.
2: You were Colin
3: blocked uh, by Pee Wee. Yeah. C- yeah. Totally Colin blocked by, and it's funny. I was like staying at a hotel somewhere in Beverly Hills, like a couple years after that. And Colin Farrell was just like standing outside waiting for a car. And I walked by him and I kind of gave him a nod and he did not remember me at all. So <laughs> if you're watching this.
0: Imagine Pee Wee Herman grabs him again. That uh, Well, that would oh, be yeah. frightening. That, at
3: that would time. be really <laughs> frightening. <No. laughs>
0: Very different and, movie. A whole and, different movie. I don't know if you guys know more, but like I only know one other person in Hollywood with uh, my last name, McDonough. That's Neil McDonough. Well, I like that guy. He's awesome. Mm. So here, another one made me smile for a second. Just wanted to be selfish and say thank you for that. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> um, run, uh, could could well, I run? This uh,
3: Jimmy McDonough, the crime writer.
0: Not familiar with him actually.
3: Oh, he he I think he's the editor of Raffin's crazy uh uh music website. He's Uh, like he's a crime reporter and right and nonfiction writer, Jimmy McDonough.
0: Hmm. Um, I have a comment that Brent said only if we have enough time, but uh yeah, I'm gonna squeeze that one in here because he wanted to say that uh he he's a Brandon's a huge fan of yours, Ed. With your run on Captain America, what drew you to the character and what kind of modern sensibilities did he hope to did you hope to bring? Um, there's one more question. Was he set sa- were you satisfied by the end of his run? Damn, I keep trying to switch up the way he phrases to he used to have you. So I hope that made sense.
3: Wait, sorry, I, I missed part of that question. <laughs> That's okay. Can you read it again? <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Uh, he said uh, he's a huge fan of your run on Captain America. What oh, yeah. drew you to the character and what kind of modern sensibilities did he hope to bring? Were you satisfied by the end of the run?
3: Um, I'll go backwards. I was happy with my final... And when uh Steve Epting came back and we did like a, a last issue together, he's the guy who drew the probably the first two-thirds of my run, like all the winter soldier stuff mm. and um all of that. Um uh it was just one of my favorite characters as a kid. Like I grew up on military bases, and I think one of my first memories is watching those old Marvel cartoons from the 60s. Um and uh there where they just took cut out, it's like the beginning of flashy animation basically like they cut out old comics and and made their arms move and the mouths move and stuff um and i i just remember watching the one about captain america uh with his origin in it and it has like the origin of bucky as like this kid who lived on the military base and that was like to me, that was like, oh, I live on a military base. I'm just like that kid. I could become like a superhero. Like, so, you know, you're you're three or four and that's how your brain works. So, like, I just grew up reading that stuff. But um, my biggest influences when I started it, I had uh, always been really attached to the three issues of Captain America that Jim Steranko drew uh, in the late 60s. They just were kind of like this this bizarre hybrid between like a really uh, over the top soap opera and like an espionage thing starring like Nick Fury and shield and Hydra and all this stuff. And it really felt like, like um, somewhere in between a Marvel comic and espionage. So when I got the book, like my two things I wanted to do was bring back Bucky as the winter soldier, which was like a, a thing I'd been thinking about since I was like 10 years
0: old. Oh, wow. Uh,
3: and, yeah, the, the, when I found out that there was no issue of a comic where Bucky actually got killed and that it was just, like, a retcon that Stan Lee did because he didn't want to bring Bucky back when, sure. when he brought Cap back, which actually makes sense, because, like, what, are they both going to be in a block of ice? But um but like, as a kid, I was so angry when I found out that there was no spe- – I thought there was an issue 99 of Captain America where Cap and Bucky got blown up by Baron Zemo because that's that's what happens when they wake Cap from the ice. He's like screaming about it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so ever since I was like 10 and I was at Comic-Con and I found out there was no issue that, then some old man was like, nah, kid, that's a retcon. And it was like the first time I heard of I heard of that phrase. Um, I started plotting, like, ways to, I was like, someday I'm going to write that book and bring back Bucky, um, and literally did it, like, 20-something years later. That's Um, seriously
0: awesome. (laughs) That's so fucking cool, man.
3: (laughs) It's pretty amazing. I I just got lucky. I arrived at a time where they were just coming out of bankruptcy and reorganizing, and they were willing to take risks. I think I'm probably the 10th or 20th writer who pitched bringing Bucky back, like, I was working with this guy, Gene Colan, who created Blade and drew drew, uh, Daredevil for, you know, 20 years or something. And he drew Cap at one point uh, for about a year or two with with Stan Lee writing it. And they did a storyline where Bucky came back and it turned out to be a robot. And I said, why didn't you ever do a story where Bucky came back and was the real Bucky? He said, you know, I asked Stan when we were doing that story. He said, when sales get low enough. So I figured I arrived
1: when sales were low enough. <laughs> what do you each find the most enjoyable about all of the different types of collaborations that you have had over the years? I mean, my answer
2: is, is is basically what I said before, that a, a, a writer's room that's in full function where you are just... Eight people sitting around a table making stuff up, and it's and if you're on a good show, it's the most fun stuff in the world that you're talking about. And like sometimes, and I won't name any names, uh, but like sometimes pitching on a bad show and, and writing a bad show is more fun than writing a good one because you could just pitch the dumbest stuff. And then you're like, okay, we're going to have a Walmart of crime in this one. And we're going to, I just totally outed what show I'm talking about. If anybody <laughs> knows my oeuvre, but, um, <laughs> but I, you know, it's just fun. You're just like, how are we going to, what's a different way to kill this guy? What, you know, like it's, there's a lot to be said for it, you know?
3: Yeah. I, every now and then I remember what it was like to have like a regular job, job. <laughs> uh, you know, which I haven't had uh, this century so far. Though, I mean, there's been plenty of times where working in television or film has felt like work. Um, but, like, so much of our lives are spent at our job, you know? Like, now we have offices, and I'm thinking about it more because I have to, like, drive to an office and come home. And I think about how limited the amount of time we have to see our families or, to, you know, take care of other things in our lives. And I just realized, like, how lucky I am to be doing this show with Jordan and Sarah and all the people who work with us. And, but just also how lucky I am that I've been able to make my entire career, like creating books and, you know, and writing, you know, hopefully, you know, good TV shows that'll get made. But, you know, even, even the stuff I've worked on in Hollywood, it's like, it's, you know, even the, even the stuff where I felt like less connected to it, the the actual process of creating it and being in those rooms with those people, like was a lot of fun. It was, it was definitely, you know, like we hear about some corporate stuff from friends who work, who aren't writers that they, you know, that work for some of these studios. And you realize like their job is so much different than ours. Cause ours is a bunch of people sitting around. It's almost like like a group therapy or an AA meeting or something sometimes, but with more laughter, you know, and, um, you know, and we're talking about people that aren't us, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it really, you know, it means the world to me to, you know, I mean, you sit down and you start trying to make a living as a writer and you look up one day and like 20 years have passed, um, you know, if you've done it, whether you've made a living or not, generally that's the life of a writer. So, you know, Better actually like writing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have one more that I almost skipped. But um, since we are a show that we have a lot of indie horror authors on, and indie folks and newer folks that watch it a lot, um, what advice would you give to somebody who is a new? creative person in the industry. And I'm not just gonna say writer or author or anything, but a new creative, what would you tell them or what was some of the best advice that you were told? I mean,
2: I and I, I live here years, but I think I would just say if if you just want to tell stories or be creative, just go do it. Like especially the way the world is now with with con- giant corporations controlling so much and not a lot of avenues for indie development. Well, that's not true. There's tons of indie development, but like kind of making your way from that to Amazon. Yeah. If you really just want to do stuff, don't do it for money. Do yeah. it for love. And I think Ed and I both started in that way in different areas. I wrote short stories for Thuglit, which is a, you know, how I got started and and I didn't get I think uh, that's not true. Todd paid us, but it was, you know, you didn't do it for the money. You did yeah. it for the love. And yeah. um, and so, you know, if you really want to make a living at it, you know, it's a crapshoot even if you're talented and, yeah. and all you can do is make the stuff you love and then
3: you know yeah, we both know plenty of talented people talented writers who don't, you know, make a living doing it and have to I do am. things and um yeah, I that's you know, I financed criminal originally. I was writing Captain America and Daredevil at Marvel and Sean had just drawn a huge thing at Marvel called Marvel Zombies. And we really wanted to do criminal. And there was no market in comics for a crime book. At the time there was one or two crime books that barely sold anything. And I thought, well, we're never gonna be, I had just killed Captain America and Sean had just done Marvel Zombies where they were just all superheroes are eating each other. So it was like, we were never gonna be bigger than we were now. Uh, So I just like took all any like extra money that was coming in from like royalties for Captain America and just set aside like a fund so that I could pay Sean to and our colorist to like draw the book actually because mm-hmm. I just wanted it to exist so bad that I just made it exist and you know like the first hardback I ever had published was our first deluxe edition because we were like why aren't our books in hardback let's just publish one so like yeah it's really about just like believing in yourself and honestly if you're a creative person like you'll just do it. Like you'll just you'll just be like one of those people who can't give up. That's the problem. It's not really a choice in, in a lot of ways. You're either a yeah. writer or an artist or something, or you're somebody who has some of those tendencies, but you know, you can do other stuff. And you know, it's like I've never been able to be good at doing anything other than writing and sometimes drawing.
1: Okay. Gotcha.
0: Sorry, I had a frog in my throat. That's a terrible phrase, but I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're wrapping up now. Uh, so this is the part where I just want to touch base on everybody knows the paperback. It came out January 30th of this year. And then on the flip side, where the body was, the hardcover came out uh, the 16th of this year. Um, yeah. yeah, everybody knows. That's let That's hear what... Uh, third or fourth novel jordan um
2: it's my third novel the second one published in the u.s um i should have some news about that puzzling conundrum uh but i can't give right now um but uh yeah i I have that she writes shotgun the last king of california which is as of now has only been published in the uk Hmm. uh and then everybody knows my short story collection love and other wounds um all available and you know fine bookstores everywhere
0: now, for those that are new to Criminal, uh, Ed, what what book do they start with? What book should they start with, or does it matter?
3: Um, well, the best way to read them would be to get the three deluxe edition hardbacks that collect like the first nine books in the series. Hmm. <laughs> um, which are all available now. All there are uh there are also uh ten paperback editions. Uh Numbered, starting with coward, um, all the way through the last, the book, the 10th book in the series is called Cruel summer. Um, and those are uh, a lot of the paperbacks when the show got announced the next day, all the books went out of print. So we're currently back at press with the first seven books right now. Um, because I guess having a TV show announced will actually make retailers order your book. Um,
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
3: So, yeah, we just uh, did a huge uh, reprinting on those. But, yeah, those are uh, Criminal Coward, uh, Criminal Lawless is book two. The third one is called The Dead and the Dying. Um, if you're a fan of the show Riverdale, uh, the sixth book in Criminal is called The Last of the Innocent and was one of the inspirations for that TV show, actually. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, that and twin peaks and a bunch of other things
0: <laughs> uh i did want to touch up on one thing and then we'll do final thoughts and call it a, a night uh talk about twilight zone briefly there ed in uh uh where where the body was and um yeah, yeah i was just wondering uh was that a show that you were heavily into as a younger kid oh or? yeah
3: yeah, everything that is in that about the Twilight Zone. I mean, that's like a le- legitimate conversation that I had with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> like a first meeting with a girl, uh, you know, outside of a drug den. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the Twilight Zone, you know, I mean, for years I've wanted to do a biopic about Rod Serling and try mm. to build her to play him or something. I think he's he's a fascinating figure um, because he's a, he's a real artist, but he also... You know he abandoned sort of his own uh he, he's he abandoned his stature at a time in the late 50s early 60s to go do what you know everybody thought was like a joke like twilight zone you know and he was like you know it would be like somebody you know it, it would be like henry miller deciding to write sherlock holmes stories or something you know like people were just like what the fuck. Um, you know, he was like up there with Patty Chayefsky as a TV writer at that point and, and really being taken seriously. And he was so pissed off at the advertisers making him change stuff in scripts that he, you know, decided he would just go do this other thing where people would just leave him alone. And, you know, and then he created probably, you know, the most one of the most influential TV shows ever. And, which you know, I still watch, The Twilight Zone, The Twilight Zone. I just I watch The Twilight Zone every Thanksgiving. That's like all day long. It's just on because that's, awesome. <laughs> that's how I grew up with the Thanksgiving Twilight Zone marathon on KTLA. <laughs>
2: if if you're looking for something else to to watch that if you're like bored on YouTube, just type Rod Serling's name in and and find the lectures he gave. Uh, he gave these great uh, film conversations with young TV writers at one point. That's some of the smartest stuff you'll ever hear about writing. It's really really highly recommend it just uh and it's all on youtube excellent yeah
0: that that just kind of full circles the conversation about writing why you should write if you do and do it for fun do what you love because you know 20 years goes by i've been only doing it for uh 10 years now and um i'm just finding my stride so it 10 years, it's when I started dating my wife that I started taking this thing serious and getting back into reading. But my point being is it goes by quick. I already got two kids and moved from New England to New Jersey. I never thought I even step foot in this place, but I love it. <laughs> and so it's, yeah, time goes by really quick. And I don't have hair anymore, which I did when I first met my <laughs> wife. <laughs> <laughs> you got to
3: have it at the beginning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: It's definitely not why she uh, was into me or stays with me. But you know what? Final thoughts. Let's cover cover final thoughts. And we'll start with uh, you, Ed. Do you have any final thoughts?
3: Final thoughts. Uh, What do people usually do here? Recommend something. Sometimes
0: people just say like one or two words. Sometimes people say really deep stuff. Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not very helpful for a reply that I'm giving you right now. You could you could talk about how awesome Jordan is and or you I'm to pretend to be you uh cause we look similar and yeah and uh but you're a better writer so um I'm gonna pretend hey Brennan you can you're not here right now but guess what I'll be back eventually one day maybe Oh, something like that. <laughs> I think my
3: final thoughts are uh, I need to get some sleep so I can work again in the morning. <laughs>
0: that's, that's excellent. Got Jordan, <laughs> Jordan, <laughs> uh, get well, Brandon. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yes. yeah.
3: Get well, Brandon.
1: <laughs> um, for me, just thank you both for your thoughts, your words, your stories, and your time. You're welcome. Well, thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, for sure. Same for me. I appreciate you guys. Both are great writers and I enjoy reading your work. And yeah. uh I just I appreciate you guys talking with us. Uh the Rod Sterling bit, though, I am not I wasn't aware of that. So I'm gonna oh, yeah. personally Yeah, know, they made him change
3: a line of dialogue when they were doing the um the second airing of um Think requiem for a heavyweight. They wanted Hmm. him. There's a line where someone says you got a match, and they wanted him to change it to you got a lighter because their sponsor was Bic lighters or something like that. Like not Bic, it was whoever was the lighter at the time. And and he was, you know, he had to like go all the way up to the head of the network to you know complain about it basically because he was just like, you know, who's writing this stuff? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it was like the beginning of the you know TV. So the advertisers were really like, hey, no, no. You know, and now we're uh, now we're getting back to advertising-run TV again. That is absolutely (laughs) wild. Our next nightmare. (laughs)
0: Next next episode is 2:35 with Gwendolyn Tyson Excited to talk to her. As always, you have me for this podcast. Thank you for picking us. Bye bye.